The D Word dives deep into dance through dirty dialogue with guests from all across the art world. Hey, I'm your host Renata, and welcome to the D Word. Um, how has January 2022 been treating you so far? Sorry, <laughs> my eyes rolled in the back of my head because, um, you know, um, I'm trying to figure out the perspective to tell this from because on one hand, it's been like a new year that I feel is like really coming off of the back of like a very intense couple years, but it's like a lot of things are... Um, also just continuing you know but then like um, and then there's this other side that is like emotional yeah the (laughs) other side and and I guess it's not really separate from it but um my I had like a kind of new year's word resolution style that was satisfaction okay and I feel like that's kind of still relevant because um yeah, I feel like in the past, potentially, I've been dis- just, like, perpetually dissatisfied. Okay. And it kind of came up at the end of last year, and it was like, why am I, like, my life is good. If I think I have dreams, then I'm like, I those dreams are happening or whatever. But um, I don't know if I know how to receive them. So this new year has been like the beginning of it, it's been like what does it mean to receive yeah and like so, like recognize yeah yeah and feel like satisfaction which is a weird word because i attribute it to like walmart or something you know like okay customer satisfaction <laughs> but i'm like i'm satisfied <laughs> yeah but i'm like no i want to feel like i'm doing like i'm i'm here doing the like feeling the feelings that i've been putting out yeah like even today i was like self-love which i think is a you know it's like this same satisfaction and like feeling good about you or you yourself they're together they're together for sure they're for sure together like (laughs) yeah i think something for me that was kind of confusing was like having all of this conversation around self-love and like for for a while now I guess right like especially in um the commercial and fashion industry but I think like it wasn't until I kind of stripped away my myself from like the reality that I was so familiar with of like leaving the United States and taking my time away from disconnecting that umbilical cord I realized that like I couldn't really love myself because I didn't know who I was and I think that like sometimes we forget to talk about that step that like prerequisite of like loving yourself it's like first you gotta identify what the fuck you're loving Mm -hmm. and I think that's really hard I think like identifying especially here in New York where Mm -hmm. we're living in a world that's like so fast so saturated it's hard to um smell yourself when there's so many smells around Mm -hmm. and I mean, I guess, no, yeah, just going yeah. back to the satisfaction thing, like. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that, um, 
you know, because I'm living upstate half the time. Yeah. And it's a really different world than... Yeah, where do you live upstate? In Kingston. Okay. Oh, I have a friend who lives there too. Yeah. It's like I live in the town part. Like it's it's not quite the country, but it it feels a little more like suburbia often actually. Okay. But it's it's small. I mean it's small. And I and it feels small. But it feels so big in other ways because it's surrounded by nature. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm like I'm quiet there, I'm isolated. And I've spent 10 years in New York. And okay. so, like, it's really a different place mentally yeah. and physically. And I still have to adapt to being alone, which means, like, the magnifying glass on self-love is, like, thick. Thick. <laughs> Super thick. Super thick. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Because it's, like, you just have no other option other than just to sit with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of felt like that in the pandemic. I feel like yeah. that, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean that that just even the sun, yeah. the sun flare in the magnifying glass for sure. Yeah, I I read this super corny quote that like fucking hit the shit out of me. I think it was like oh, Bob Marley or something, and it was like, um, you win the race when you stop racing, mm. and it's like really true. I feel like because. It's like that's when you can like sit with yourself in in silence. It's mm. like oh, I could sit anyway. Yeah, I was really up on that word peace at the end of last year. Mm. I was like, I mean, you hear peace your whole life. And I think as a child, it's like world peace. And then that becomes, I don't know, when you start to get a little existential, you're like... Right, right, right. It's like attached to John Lennon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or you're like, that's not possible. (laughs) Like, that's never going to happen. Like, what's, what's that about? And so you put this big, heavy, like, bold lettering on peace. And I was... I never really, you know, like, mm. felt like it was an attainable word. It felt like something that was, I don't know, right, like or bigger, something. Like, beyond, yeah. Yeah, but at the end of last year, I was feeling peace. And I felt, it was, like, this feeling of, like, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm satisfied. Yeah. yeah. Capital <laughs> S. Yeah. yeah. It fluctuated. <laughs> you know, I think this... I haven't been feeling that at the beginning of this year. But it was actually after getting COVID okay. and sleeping for 10 days. got that days. Omarion. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. You were, like, asymptomatic or you were, like, suffering? No, I was sick. Oh, you were suffering. Was this some... Um, I mean, this could go off record, but have you had COVID before or no? That was the first time. Oh, so it, like, hit, hit you. Yeah, I think I got it at my show. <laughs> oh, no, wait. I'm um, the one at um, Public Records? Yeah. Oh, Fuck, bro, you probably did. I know, either that sure. or like in rehearsals beforehand. But anyway, but it was like being in bed, like those the quarantine days. It yeah. was like, I actually, it was the first time, even through all of the two two years of the quarantine, like of the shutdown and all that, I, I didn't relax. I mean, there was a taste yeah. of it, but just those 10 days that I had it, I actually fully let go of everything. Mm. and i my like back pain went away and i was like holy shit bro. <laughs> or like my shoulder i was like having all the shoulder pain and yeah it was like those 10 days i was just like oh i feel like fine i feel okay it's crazy you know when you just detach yeah you're like i'm gonna stay in my lane unbothered but yeah i felt like that sense of peace though i mean after years and years of like work on other things too it was just like oh but now it's gone i don't know it was but it was like this taste of 
of this lightness yeah so- like the softness the softness the gentleness that's really nice were mm-hmm. you quarantining upstate yeah okay good but it wasn't circumstantial it was like or like maybe it was because it was like my body was just like sorry bitch you can't do anything else you gotta lay in bed you gotta fucking and so i just like for the birds yeah, yeah like i leaned into it in a way that i like don't do mm, beautiful yeah yeah so my question first is where were you born where did you grow up uh-huh. yeah <clears throat> Clean my throat. Um, I was born in Florida. Um, I was born specifically in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Well, the thing is, okay, when I was eleven, I moved to Newport Ritchie, which is a okay, which is like West Coast Central Florida, not too far from Clearwater Beach, and that's seven two seven. Okay, so it's. From Pinellas County to Pasco County. Okay. So you grew up on, like, the Gulf of Mexico? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Yeah, like, not where most people grow Holy up. Holy shit, yeah. That's so I like actually a... just met another, or I know, an- I didn't just meet them, but I know another performer who actually grew up in, like, the same area. Which oh, is no way. very funny. We just figured it out. But I never meet, nobody is ever from there. Yeah, it's such a fucking, like, pocket. Yeah. Yeah, like, I can't even imagine what it's like to grow up on the west side of Florida. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because... It's ki- armpit. Do you know Kiwi? Ki- no. They're just another New York... Perfor- not just... They're, gr- they're a great <laughs> New York another performer. One of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're incredible, but... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <You> know? <laughs> Performance art. I mean, dance art is also, like, painting, I guess, too, though. It's fucked up. It's just a little broader. Performance can be more broad. It's like... I know. And I I feel like with this podcast, I'm like, I want to start narrowing it. Yeah. Because I want... Because it's like, it's trickling, like, capitalistically. It's like not really benefiting us to be so fucking vague. Yeah. Um, Or is it? I I sort of think it is. You think what? That being vague about it is kind of better. Because if you try to define it, then, like, people try to define it. You know what I mean? Or I guess not to find it, but kind of attach it to something a little bit more... Um, like, my whole philosophy mm-hmm. is to start attaching performance. Yes, it lends itself to so many other things, of course, but to attach it to the body. Like, that's kind of Right. My... It's, it is about embodiment. Like, it yeah. is, that is kind of the... I yeah. do feel like performance art is a... It's, I mean, dance is the same... I guess these things, it's just a different way of doing it, but they are processing terminals. Like, I think performance really goes deep into the different kinds of information that we need to process, whereas dance is a, like, certain kind of container for doing that. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, I guess that's what I mean by it's more broad. Like, it's... Like, performance being more broad. Yeah. Yeah. Even though this... And this thing is called the D word. It's like, um, I also understand that like dance and movement is like detached to performance, just as painting and sculpture is also detached to performance. Yeah. So yeah. you grew up on the West Coast mm-hmm. of the West Coast of the Peninsula. <laughs> yeah. That's great. <laughs> what was life like there? And like, what would you say as a child was like your like habits or your like obsessions? Um, I was obsessed with art. I was, like, very much an art kid. Like, I... But I was the only one. Like, my... I don't... Art was not something that, like, was 
given to me. Okay. Well, kind of. I mean, my mom, I remember, I very vividly remember the, like, going to a crab shack with my family. And my mom drew a portrait of me. I was probably, like, four years old. Okay. And she drew, like, a little portrait of me on the, because it at crab shacks they have like craft paper yeah and the crayons yeah and, and so it, she, I, she yeah. like drew something of me and i was like oh my god like i'm gonna do that i want to oh, do that weird. and she actually bought me a sketchbook like that week or something and i've had a sketchbook ever since and i have most, most of them you're like that vivid memory at the crab shack it's super vivid i like really remember the origin story but I think even, like, yeah, when I was a kid, like, when, you know, like, preschool books, it was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like an artist. Okay, so you so already always, fucking knew. It yeah. was injected into your blood. <laughs> it really was. From the like, get-go. I think it is, like, a very natural thing to me. Like, even now, it's hard, talking about identity, like, it's yeah, it's hard to, like, decide and figure out how you present to the world, but I cannot stop making things yeah like there are things i'll never show anybody or like you know that i don't know whether i will or won't but it's like i was talking to my therapist about this this week like i've i've hang-ups about showing things okay but i they don't affect my making of them you know like that's I, really beautiful is it, that's yeah, very stream is it dark <laughs> I it's don't, light it's so much light yeah no it's, it's light. just like you streaming you like birthing what you need to birth regardless of like any other outside eyes or yeah. thoughts that's perfect True. Yeah. yeah that's empowering i feel like it is it is yeah i just get really existential about it i have like existential ghost dread <laughs> <laughs> Mm. But that's like another. Those are story. three super heavy <laughs> words. <laughs> Ghost dread. <laughs> um, like that's been. Fuck. That's like the. I've been really into dialectic lately, and like how two things can be true. Yeah. And it's very true in my life. Maybe that's the Pisces Virgo thing. Like. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say the like paradoxes. And, and, yeah, like the, yeah. the pain and suffering exists at the same time as like beauty and poetry and like that's always been really true in my life yeah and it's especially true right now january 2022 oh my gosh, bro. <laughs> i <It's>... yeah <laughs> um so how like what was the well a lot of my lot of, i mean so much of my work points to like my upbringing and i had a very very intense like intense upbringing that actually I'm making a piece about with Issa right now that it um I mean all my work always is like this but um this like one, what like about your upbringing or kind yeah. of yeah okay like it always points to my childhood and my family okay and I had like a pretty like my parents were both struggled with addiction okay and later like my whole like my sisters too and how many sisters do you have two and how many brothers or i have like a stepbrother okay so and it was like three of you girls yeah but it, yeah I'm, like growing up it was like three girls and then my mom and dad okay. and then like when i moved to newport ritchie it was because my dad my mom left and met and with got a new boyfriend and then my dad had a new girlfriend we moved to Newport Ritchie and then like my dad my mom's boyfriend died and then my dad and his girlfriend moved in with my mom so there's this part of my life where like the three of them lived together for like 
a long time, maybe like 15 years until she died. Who died? Donna, my dad's girlfriend. So like I did a series that, that is... was called A Ghost Story that was about Donna first and then it was about Joey, my mom's boyfriend. And, what and is this your mom's new name? one is about my dad dying, actually. Okay. The one that I'm working on now. Okay. Quite. What is your mom's name? Julie. And your father's name? Michael. So Julie and Joey? Julie, Joey, yeah. Joey was my mom's boyfriend, yeah. Julie, Joey, Dana, Michael. Donna. Donna. Yeah. Michael. Yeah. That is, um, wow, such a potent last supper dinner vibe. So yeah. Many. I sort of, th- I jumped across a lot of things. This is my observation, but I feel like that's kind of like the lifestyles and conditionings that go on in Florida. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm also it's from true. Florida. Oh, you are? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, not technically. I am from Florida. What part of Florida are you from? I'm from Miami. Oh. So it's definitely a different vibe, right? Because I'm on, like, the Atlantic Ocean. So it's, like, a different feng shui completely. Which is why I'm, like, I've never really met anybody on the West Coast, honestly. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I I feel like I've only really gone to, like, I went to Daytona a lot, Lakeland a lot, Tallahassee. Oh, I went to UF. And Naples. Those two are on the West. Yeah. Yeah. Different still. Different from Newport Ritchie. Mm-hmm. God, such great names in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Daytona. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, so I find it to be kind of like what you're saying, like the dynamic and the structure of like how you grew up and like what it's painted for you. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> it's quite, be- you know, it's beautiful because it's like I also see like the land that you're from and it's like. Mm-hmm. You can place me. Yeah, like it's... Yeah, it is such an interest... I find Florida to be, like, fascinating. It's It's socially, like, in in turmoil. But... And there's a lot of political problems. There's, you know, there's... It's got a fucked up history, like, a lot of America. But it's, like, covered in, like, the most diverse, beautiful flora and reptilian life and like the people there are just like fucking weird dude i am fascinated by florida also because it's like exactly what you're saying it's like it's first of all it's fucking a limestone Mm -hmm. it's literally it's a gem yeah (laughs) and then all of it all of the things habitating this gem like they're all such they're so out of pocket everything is so out of pocket with florida like the south is covered with like cubans holding guns and then like the north of it is like also people holding guns and then the majority like everybody is super reptilian and swampy so like i find people from florida be really potent like Mm -hmm. i can feel that their blood is really hot yeah and like I don't want to say snaky, but, like, swampy in this way. Okay, this is why. This is why. It's mm. because the archetype of a Floridian for me... This is gonna sound so corny, but it's Jim Morrison. <laughs> that was my dad's favorite person. <laughs> I would imagine from Newport Ritchie, somebody... Of course. Yeah, he's, like, a big... Yeah, oh. interesting. I was also listening to Jimi Hendrix earlier today, which is not something I do, but I was listening to it, and I was like, this is cool. Dude, I saw recently, like, a YouTube video of Jimmy, um, I think it was at his, like, Jimi Hendrix experience Mm -hmm. stage, I don't know, whatever, um, but dude, this guy's, like, going 
off. Like, it looks like he's having an exorcism on stage. Mm -hmm. And he's just, like, channeling through and, like, out of the guitar. Mm -hmm. And he's going at it. And, like, you could just tell in the audience that, like, nobody's quite on that frequency. Like, nobody's <laughs> even, like, capable of, like, receive, like, understanding what he's doing. And it's just this so... It's this, like, weird paradox. Wait, it's not actually Jimi Hendrix? No, 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 it is. It's, oh. like, footage from, like, this, I don't know, 16, or, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, he's, it's just, like, basically, like, an amazing performance, and everybody in the audience is, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, so weird, but it's, it, I guess it's, like, proof that he was such a witch. Yeah. He was such a reptile. But is he also from Florida? No. I don't think so, but mm. it's funny because my my mom and dad were like huge Jimi Hendrix fans, like particularly my mom. But like they were both like those kind of rock people in the seventies or whatever. Weird. And That's so like the reason I was listening to it today is because I am channeling them. Okay. And so I was like, I heard. Um, the beginning of all along the watchtower the other day and some like podcast or something okay and i was and so i was and i heard the lyrics and it's like um something about like said the joker to now i'm like what are the lyrics but it it was like about like you know i can't get no relief like there's no like they said the joker to the somebody and it was like no somebody like the first line that he says in that song and it's like kind of, it's about like revolution or there's this feeling of it because of the time that it's in and the sound that it is and then there's also this like he's like this existential kind of dread that is like i can't get any relief like i don't have the resources i need yeah and even if i did like it's spiritually not you know, like, it just makes me think of my parents, and it makes me think of the world around me, and it makes me think of drug use, and it's like, this, okay. there's all of this stuff going in in the first few minutes of the song, and, and it's, it feels, like, very dense to me, and in a good way, like, it's loaded, and I want to unpack it. That's really good research. Yeah. That's a great tool. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix is my research. I know. I'm like, it's funny, though, because it's, like, something I've avoided for a while because it's, okay. like, it's attributed to this. Like, when I think of Jimi Hendrix, I think of being a kid and being, like, in a dark place. I'm, like, in this world of, like, things I don't understand and, like, illusion. Yeah. That's very Floridian, I feel like. Also meta but also virgo piscean yeah also. but i feel like it's floridian to live in this illusion where it's like the everglades is like so disorienting mm -hmm. and then you like think about the fact that you're like still on mother earth and it's like so it can be like looked i feel like the everglades is like purgatory honestly <laughs> yeah kind of yeah, yeah yeah i'm like i don't want to be here <laughs> I yeah know. i mean it's weird i do like it but i do would not ever want to live there 
it's just super sensory it's just super like there's a lot of energy in the waters surrounding the peninsula of fucking florida Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's why i also think that people from florida are just like there's something to them like it's like we're all cracked out naturally a bit right a bit well i think there's also this thing i was explaining or trying to explain this the other day to somebody yeah we're talking about like sociology of florida and it was like you know i was like i think maybe the um the fact that it's like a a state that people go to to retire because of its beauty yeah that there that that was like the beginning of like a slow motion coup where like a lot of the energy that exists there is this like very um this like release mm. you know there's a lot of people who like don't give a fuck right 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 and this release. in some ways that's like fascinating like i like going there and talking to people but in other ways it for people who are actually like raising families there or like right struggling there the resource distribution and like the way that people actually can live there in a like civilization is impossible like because people have just given up everyone people are giving up there yeah and there's something really dark about it Mm -hmm. as well as some like if you are in a position to give up because you're retired great that's great for you but if you're like not in a or because you're retired with money but if you're not with money right it really is a terrible place it's this like cycle that yeah. you kind of never get out of for sure and it's like what and I then was, that's generations long yeah super karmic you know? i've i've yeah like it's i feel like, like the potency place. of the karmic energy is that serpent energy and then mm-hmm. also like that what i was saying of florida being like so many it's like a girl wearing so many different outfits like so many different moods in one outfit that's what florida is i feel like (laughs) you know because it's like yeah it's like also refugee for like haitians and cubans but i do find that oftentimes i do really find like for real people from florida like i'm even watching that show cheer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like ladarius is from florida and it's like He's fucking amazing. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, I do find that, like, there is something special. There's, like, I don't want to say special, but, like, the blood. Again, it's about the blood. I feel like the blood in Floridians, I look at my I look at my friends in Miami, and I'm like, if they can't get out for some reason, it's like, okay, like, whatever. You mm-hmm. should get out of Miami, but whatever. But it's like, they're all still so curious. Like, there's a curiosity that circulates in Florida. Mm-hmm. I feel like like people are like on their toes. Yeah. Type shit. I mean, I don't know. Now I just started thinking about it. Yeah. All this stuff, but whatever. <laughs> so let's go back. I want to know more about like the involvement of your um, painter, like all of the skills. Like what what did you form as first? What were you generating in terms of like creation? Mm. I mean, well, I always. I always like drew like I I I've can I always drew as long as I can remember and I would draw people. I always drew So people. you were really inspired by your mom at the crab shack for it, real. Yeah. Vivid <laughs> AF. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I I mean pe- I think I was always really interested in um I mean I th- okay. The thing is I I grew up 
this is how I define it now, like, or how I understand it. Like, I grew up with people who were often leaving because they were taking drugs. So the body became a really, really important thing to me. And I was like, why, why would you leave, like, when we're here, like, we're here in a body, you know, and, like, we're material. Okay. So, like, when someone's exhibiting being high... They're, like, escaping this body. Yeah, like, the eyes, the nodding, the, like... Okay. It's, like, the neglect that happens in the material world is very vivid in my young memory. You know, and so, like, the body became a really important thing for me. And ever since I can remember, like, I was interested in dance. And I was interested... And it was... But it didn't... It wasn't dance, like, choreography. It was, like, I loved like after school dances and like I used to I really wanted to be a ballerina like really bad but my mom couldn't afford no they couldn't afford it so but what she could do is she could buy me leotards and like tutus and she actually ended up getting in trouble for doing this because she would write bad checks she actually didn't have the money oh but um but she but I would dance around my living room okay but I love that she's too good for you yeah yeah no she would I mean my parents were great they were they're beautiful people yeah that's really nice so you were still dancing with your fucking tutu so yeah it was always but i think that's why like it was like it became very important to me to understand like why i'm in a body wow that's really nice yeah i feel like it's a gift honestly it's like part of that thing like there was it's like dark but it's also beautiful like Like, yeah it's like like two things are true yeah the two things are true after um newport richie where did you end up going like where did your body take you yeah so um so i started painting in high school okay and um i my i had a really incredible art teacher her name darlene wells miss wells miss wells she was a big big huge factor in my life like she's the reason i went to college she's like she really always encouraged me. I have this theory now that's like very much you need if like if you're a child who like doesn't who does not have who's, where the odds are against you. Okay. Having a non-parental adult figure in your life supporting like your talents is like that's the number sexual. one thing. Yeah. And you she need- was that. <gasps> oh my god, Monica. What? That person in Cheers, Monica. I know. <laughs> I know. So beautiful. I know. <laughs> we were talking about that last week in, in the rehearsal. Okay. Oh, uh, so other <laughs> people are Monica watching too. Talking, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. I like just started. But anyways. Yeah. Miss anyway, Wells. Darlene, yeah, yeah. She and I, we're still friends, but she really encouraged me to like apply to like scholarship stuff and and go to college and I went to I ended up going to the Maryland Institute College of Art okay cool and um damn so from Florida to Maryland yeah okay and to Baltimore which is where my dad's from actually but I didn't I didn't know that which is weird you didn't know that when like I knew it but I didn't I wasn't really cognizant of it Ooh, that's so interesting yeah and i ended that, up like going there. your body accessed that merit that memory even cognitively without you kind of 
checking it? Yeah, because I applied to a few colleges too, okay. and I, I I went I went to a pre college program first, and I like okay. applied to a few of them. And I was just like really curious, really adventurous. I wanted to like I knew I wanted to leave. I knew I never I grew up with zero rules. Like okay. I I was never grounded. Dope. Like I could do whatever I wanted. That's another Floridian thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is like now I'm like talking to my therapist, and she's like, "You never learned boundaries," and I'm like, "Fuck." That's true. <laughs> Fuck, mom, why didn't you crown me? Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. I'm like, damn like, it. I know. Dude, literally. Like, like, I'm like, 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 I'm like, if I ever have kids, they're getting grounded. Their asses are getting grounded. I mean, like, it's Just like, for the fuck of it. <laughs> so, I never did this, so I, I think you guys will really appreciate this. But you might also, not like it now, but you will. <laughs> I feel like it's like West Coast people are like, oh yeah, I was joyriding at like 13. I would like steal my mom's car at like 13. And like mm-hmm. Florida people are like, oh, I was like driving at 13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what year did you move over to Maryland to start, Micah? 2006. Okay, dope. What was the world like? What was happening in 2006 for you in your... In Monica's world, like politically, I mean, I don't know if you even remember if it was even. I, a know, thing. I was pretty like self-centered in a way. I was like, I'm getting out of Florida. But like, what was like the hype in 2006? Oh shit! Sorry. Indie music. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of true, right? yeah. Um, I was engaged. Like at the end of my high school years, like I started doing performance art. Okay. High school? Yeah. So, like, okay. my my senior year, I did this thing that was, like, a video performance. Okay. That was kind of... They were called film stills, and they were kind of after... Um, what's her names? Film stills. I'm sorry, artist. Um, film stills by... I can't remember, but they weren't, they weren't anything like whatever I'm thinking about. They were videos that were, they were dancers that were my family. Okay. They were like people. Okay. That I painted their bodies. Okay. And then I had them pose in different, um, scenes. Okay. And be still. Okay. For like a long time. I still do that today. Okay. <laughs> so they were video stills. Yeah, and what the, it was about was like how you never, in a body, you never actually stop moving. No matter how hard you try to be still or try to escape, it yeah. doesn't work. So yeah. like the eyes water and like you sweat and your muscles ache because you never actually stop, stop moving. Stop moving. So it was like it was about that, but I painted everyone's body with like acrylic paint. I'm like, y'all are fucking. No, I... <laughs> Did you actually paint your family members? Yeah, my dad, my mom. Oh, my that's sister. so beautiful. They Dude. were all. They were my parents and my family were really, really supportive, supportive of, of me that's of like my amazing. practice and like they let me turn my the garage into a painting studio and like I always got my own room even though I had two older sisters they had to wow. share. Wow. That's so beautiful how your whole family like intuitively felt like that you needed your space. Yeah. I feel like maybe sometimes they resent me for it now but like <laughs> at the time it made sense cuz they got along really well and I was like the different yeah. Um but yeah, so I did that my senior project was that and then when I got to college 
they came to Maryland, to Baltimore, you know, and, um, I thought I was going to go for painting, but when I, because I ended with like sculpture and performance art in high school, in high school, as soon as I got in after doing the prereqs, I was like, I don't want to paint at all. Okay. Like painting wasn't enough for me. It was like, okay. it felt like it was, I couldn't move my body. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it wasn't alive enough. It wasn't alive enough. So I went, I thought I, so I went into sculpture and I, my major became interdisciplinary sculpture, which meant I could study performance art. Wow. That's really beautiful. Is MICA like a conservatory structured institution or is it more liberal arty? It's more liberal arty. It's more liberal arty. And, like, what kind of high school did you go to that you were able to do? Um... It was a public high school that I was the only artist there. And, and you so, were doing, like, it wasn't even a magnet program? No. Okay. It actually doesn't even exist anymore because it was, like, 40% dropout rate and it's, oh, like, okay. grades were so bad that they shut it down. This is because of um Darlene. Yeah. Okay. Like, Darlene was really supportive of me and the school really was because I was the only one doing it and they were like you have passion like you should do what you have passion for wow so it was cool like all of my teachers were like they let me go to the art room all the time wow and so I was like I didn't even have to I didn't have to go to class I I was a good student so I actually did I had good grades like I was yeah I had friends whose parents also were they wanted to be artists and their parents were like no yeah. Like, you're not doing that with your life. Right. And and so, like, this, they never really could feel good about putting their heart right. into like it. judgment was kind of in the way for, in order for them to pursue. Yeah. I mean, that's usually kind of how it goes. Yeah. In the world. So you went over to Micah. Mm-hmm. And you transferred over to sculpture because the canvas wasn't alive enough for you anymore yeah that's really what it felt like i was like i try i mean i got i did paintings when i first got there but it was like i couldn't and i felt like i was good at it okay and so, it, you so it was a challenge sort of, well it was yeah it just felt like i would and not to be like oh, i was good at painting because now i'm painting again and i'm like oh, this is so hard like what but um but i felt like it wasn't something that I was ever going to be fulfilled by. Okay. You know, like, it it was something that was like, oh, I know what I'm doing here, so I don't know why I'm doing it. Okay. That's interesting, because, like, your body already knew. Yeah. Your body was like, "Mm, let's take it up a notch. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm going to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it definitely felt like that now. And I want to ask you, like, how does your perception from painting and your perception from like working with the body like integrate? Um, it's uh, how does it integrate? Like the like when I'm creating choreography specifically. I mean, when I'm making dance work that is like me moving my body. It often is about contours, and it's often about symbols, and it's often about, like, semiotic codes. Okay. You know, so so there's that aspect of it. So there's, like, a it's like a drawing. There are central axes. There are, Interesting. you know, like, this kind like of... the symbolism, right, the semiotic code of how the body can configure that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, like, what it represents. 
And then there's, and which often comes in paintings too, like symbolic codes, you know. But I guess like semiotics gets more into like a social, a social sphere, which is like where performance plays a bigger part right. or like performance does it better. But, um, and then there's also the aspect of like composition, like how you configure those uh, figures or symbols on a, on a canvas that becomes three dimensional. Well, four dimensional really, because then you have the light and sound element as well. Yeah. And then it's like bird's eye, you know, there's like aspects of looking at it from like the top, you know, like on in a square mm. or like in a, on a typical, you know, like typically in a dance room or whatever. And then there's like the observation of like the, the background foreground. Okay. So whatever. it's really technical the way that you can, can also deconstruct it in that manner. Yeah. yeah. I'm starting to understand it in a, in a different way now. I feel like my Virgo brain does that, but then there's yeah, this yeah, other yeah. stuff that's happening in my work right now that has more to do with like the collapsing of all of those conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Like collapsing of time and collapsing mm. of like, like ideas that are sensical or like, or like I'm thinking more about like marginal spaces, I guess. Okay. And that, but it's harder for me to like feel okay about it, but it's the thing I'm interested in more right now. Because I feel when you're painting um a body in a certain gesture and a certain action, it's implying or like provoking a, something that we can understand that's like, um, whatever we're trying to understand is like three-dimensional in a way kind of you know like mm -hmm. it's like she's like this so it's like she's pouting because mm -hmm. in the three-dimensionality we've understood that that position evokes mm -hmm. this kind of emotion and so it's really interesting that you work with like trying to serve those axes mm -hmm. of like in a performance giving those mo those checkpoints where it's like this like implication of and um and then contrasting it to you saying collapsing mm -hmm. um or like the way because it's more pro it's like the way your mind the way you experience life is more like you experience one thing that shifts quickly to another to another you know and it's not it's not like you experience life to be like you know like this thing i see that she is sad and she's going to be sad all day you know it's like mo what's really happening like in a performance you can go from sad to happy in a second and that will have a greater implication of like the human condition or whatever and that is that that relationship to art is unique you know like nothing else does that or you know video can do it in I mean, no, yeah, because but like because it's like the body to body communication. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's a phenomenon, honestly. Yeah. Like the body. I mean, this is why I'm having the podcast because I just feel like um, we need to start talking about the body more. Again, separate from dance and separate from choreography, separate from all of these extensions to the body, but like we just need to start kind of talking about the body more. This was being brought up in another interview that I was having is like people not not being willing to sustain a performance and just kind of walking out. And it's like, um, you know, with the painting or with an object or something that's more materialized, you have the 
agency to decide whether you're going to share time with it or not, right? Like if you're turned off by a painting, you could just walk away. But in a performance, it's like most of the times, you know, I'm going to stage etiquette and room etiquette. You've got to stay there. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, like that challenge for like someone, I, I also compare it to like if you're in like a sauna, Mm-hmm. And you're like, bro, it's so hot. I need to go. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know that if you really turn that part off, like that ego off, you're like, I could sustain this. Like I could, I, I want to witness what's going to happen to my body. Right. I think that's the thing that's so interesting about performance, but also because it locks you in. But like with all art, I think this is true, actually. But it's really like, who is the performer? You know, like... because like there's this it's like yeah it asks you to to pay attention to your behavior and to why you behave that way if it's doing a good job you know like um which i don't know if i don't know if that's true actually i've never seen you perform Uh i've heard fantastic things (laughs) float your boat (laughs) but I've, i've heard really fantastic things about the way that you perform and I'm happy that you're, like, saying that the integrity of the performer is so important. Yeah. Like, that's what serves... The integrity good... of the performer? Is that what yeah, you're Yeah, like, that's what serves a good performance, is, like, the performer also needs to... The performer needs to know what they're giving or trying to get. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, my like my certain cup of tea. I li- like, in some ways, like, I think that people have different containers... You know, but I think as an artist, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a certain care that goes into being an artist. Like you have to care about the fact that people are looking at it. It's, it's easy. I mean, and some could say that like, that's part of the human condition or whatever to want to be seen and heard. And I think that that's true. And like, you know, you're interested in therapy, like, yeah, definitely a part of it. But like art is... I'm, I'm like getting going off no. on a tangent but art is very much like you if you are not willing to consider to care. the audience yeah and to care about what they are experiencing then um something's missing you know that's really opening my mind around because i feel like it for me what i experience is like the opposite like the audience it's like you have to be willing to care mm-hmm also and i and i say it specifically to performance because i feel like people are often kind of like i feel like people are more inclined to like not really see performance Mm -hmm. you know i feel like sometimes um being in the ecosystem of witnessing a performance whether it's good or bad or whatever it can be a very intense experience it's always vulnerable yeah and i think you saying like you know you have to care like um, I think it's easier for people to kind of like show this compassion towards other types of materials. Because mm-hmm. uh, I just find it quite hard. Like I, I'm saying as a performer, I, I oftentimes feel neglected. If I were to be a painter or a sculptor or something else, I don't think I would feel so much neglection. Mm. And I think it comes from the fact that, like, this... Can you... Yeah, like, institutions, you know? It's really, at least in my experience, especially in Mexico City, it's hard for an institution to kind of trust my process and what I'm willing to generate and do. Yeah. Because performance is such a 
obscure thing and regardless of the way that you're trying to manifest it like and for me it is kind of manifested in a more choreographic way but I find oftentimes that institutions are a lot more um there it's easier for them to trust people who make work with their hands like sculptors or well that's partially I think because it's under capitalism like you know you can't you can't sell a performance completely it doesn't the real thing is it doesn't accrue value over time in the way that other work can and uh, like this is exactly why i like want to have this podcast is because it's like we i feel like if we start talking about body perception and we're opening up that spine more to people Mm -hmm. people will start to uh, know how to see what performance is and i do believe that okay sure an investment on a canvas for twenty five thousand dollars will probably accrue um this amount of money for you in 60 years but it's like also seeing a fucking performance can transform the shit out of you and that can happen in one second yeah and that also needs to be considered just as much as the other works of art are being considered well i think i mean this is really the, the it's an interesting conversation i definitely i have these conversations with people all the time because yeah. just knowing a lot of performance artists and like how how they like people who are getting shows and then how easy it is to be like dropped or to be like you know like you're no longer it's too risky yeah but but the thing is performance has this intrinsic value because it is about the way that we uh, exist in the world and like the way that we behave and the way that we interact with one another. And some people see that and do want to support it, but there are very few people. But um, the thing, the value that you're talking about is, um, I think it's not, it's not something like what it gets at is like this bigger therapeutic problem like i say therapeutic problem because i'm like there i think that a lot of our world is really sick you know and like the for you to believe in a performance and to believe that there's like intrinsic value in the like in being grounded in your body is for you to like I don't know, are, are like existing, you know, (laughs) that you are some, that there is, you know, it's, it becomes really loaded. Well, you have to like believe you have to care about ancestry and like generational trauma and like, and you know, things beyond, beyond accruing money, you family, you know, like you have to care about things that are not taught, you know, like you don't, you don't learn this in school. You don't learn this in the United States in 2022. The earth can only function, like, humans can only function if we respect, like, Mother Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the basis. Although, for some reason, it's so hard for the United States to fucking understand that. For the mm-hmm. whole world. But in order for to live, to inhabit in something that's hosting us, we have to respect its elements. We have to respect its plants, its minerals, its ocean life. And the same thing goes for our body. You said, like, we're all sick, and it's because it's like, I think of, like, Wally, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. we're all so disconnected. We all neglect the vessel. We are, are extremely disassociated to our body, which is yeah. why... 
we are sick. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if sick is the right... It's like we're, we're stagnant. We're dormant. Well, it's also changing. I mean, I've been witness to the change that has happened in the last, like, I don't know, 10 years. And, you know, just even in the last five, a lot of institutions have, to, like, uh, built on new performance wings. You know, like, many in New York. And it's become, it was becoming, like, more and more recognized. And... I don't know what COVID's going to do to that. I feel like it's mm-hmm. it's harder again. Yeah. But um but I'll leave that a question mark cuz I have no yeah. idea. And but there yeah. you know like it beca- it's becoming more and more um part of the canon of art. And that's not to say like it wasn't before. I mean like there are definitely performance art has been happening for a long time, but it hasn't been recognized as like a canon. You, you think it is being recognized as a canon? Yeah, I think there are more people recognizing. I mean, I think even... At its fullest canon, you think? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or like we're getting there? You think there's hope for us to be like... Yeah, <gasps> I do. I do. Okay. Can we go back? Can we talk about like your entrance to New York after Micah and like you establishing yourself in New York and like what these 10 years have kind of... Can we comb through those 10 years? I can try. Okay. I'll first have to say it didn't start here. It started in Baltimore. Okay. Um, in Micah? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you go on. Or, or I, I just, I started doing performance in, I, in Baltimore. I dropped out of college for a year. I became a... What year? 2007. Like your second year? You dropped yeah. out? Yeah. Okay. For my second year, I dropped out. Okay. And I became like very politicized. Okay. And what did that mean for you? I was um, becoming a lot more interested in how to better, like, how to better organize. Okay. So. Yeah, like yeah. organize organize yeah. people. I Dope. was I was um hanging out with like people who are very interested who were like going to protests and interested in like deprivatization and like okay. who identified as um anti-establishment and anti-capitalist and and I had already sort of been there because of my family like trying to understand like why are they struggling with addiction like what is the core problem why are they impoverished yeah you know like why is the education system so fucked up like why is the infrastructure undefeatable yeah and occupy started in 2008 right or I don't know. I or wasn't really, really not at all. Two thousand. I'm thinking two thousand nine. I can't really speak to that though, because I wasn't really involved with that so much. I was like doing some things that were, um, around the RNC in um, St. Paul, Minneapolis. I had like, what is the RNC? The Republican National Convention. So I dropped out of school, and I very much like became a punk. Okay. Like, and what I mean by that is, like, I was very much, like, living a life of, like, anti-establishment. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I lived in my van. I went, I, like, was traveling with my friend. Like, we were staying at bunk houses and eating dumpster food and 
going to organizing meetings and traveling. And I did, I like did all this stuff. That's more school. Yeah. It was very educational. And during that time is really, I I just met so many people. Like I traveled the whole country. I went into Canada. I went to Alaska. Shut up. You went to Alaska in your fucking van? No, my van broke down in, in Milwaukee. And so then I started hitchhiking and hopping trains. So I was like, I felt so liberated. I was like a... I was like, I could do anything. I'm anything is possible. Like, I, I don't think I've ever in my life since then felt like, felt so liberated. No, like Why going back to like, that, like, Jim Morrison, Serpia energy of like, I'm just going to fucking hitchhike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so unafraid. I was so fearless. And I look back on it now because I am not like that anymore. And I'm like, wow. Like, I was... You're Pacerian in full effect. Yeah. <laughs> when you were little. I was, I'm yeah. like, now I listen to true crime podcasts, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going with you. But at the time, I was, like, very unafraid. I mean, I was with... That's often beautiful. when I was hitchhiking and hopping trains, I was with other people. I did do it by myself a few times, but That's I never fucking... felt scared. Because yeah. the people who would pick me up were, like, people who were scared, afraid for my safety you know and they're oh, like okay. i'm picking you up because i don't want other people to pick you up and they're like old ladies you know and oh like, wow and they always gave me money to like get food wow and- i also did um in 2017 i did this little pilgrimage through um i started in denver and i ended up and i went on to the top of colorado and then i went all the way down to new mexico and it was kind of the same vibe of like hitchhiking type shit mm-hmm. i was with one person the whole time and he was a male and had a machete with him so it was like a different vibe like old women were picking me up but like mm-hmm. um crazy like I feel like Colorado and 30 and they're kind of similar. Like, crazy Colorado people. Mm-hmm. Like, crazy in the sense of, like, super liberated. Like, just being like, you need a ride? Get in. Like, yeah, come yeah. On, where are you going? You know? Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Um, But something that I felt, even in the process of that, like, even the fact that I didn't have a phone, even the fact that I, like, was getting fired from all my jobs in the midst of me being, like, in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, I still feel trapped Mm. in the United States and then Mm. there were certain aspects of that like I definitely got into the cycle of thinking that was like like for instance with like dumpster diving for food it was like all this food is good and I'm eating it and that's great but I'm like why is all this food being made like this you know like if if it weren't for like the demand then I would and, like, the fact that this system exists to be thrown away, like, then I wouldn't be receiving it. And I feel like I'm not doing anything to address the systemic problem by, like, taking the food. And then there was also the aspect of, like, me getting the food and other people not getting the food. or like Wow. <laughs> How was Alaska? And then... And then well, Alaska was actually more like... So, Alaska, some friends picked me up from... Who I knew from Florida. And then we drove through Montana into... Beautiful. Alaska. It was cool. Because I remember in Montana, I had this... like I was, like, into herbs. And I had this herb book. And I found, like, 70% of the book in Montana. And I was, like, <gasps> really excited about it. 
but um but that's and that's kind of how the journey began and then we went to through the Yukon well I was like really interested in being self-sufficient you know okay I was really interested in medicinal herbs because I was like had again parents who were struggling with addiction specifically to pharmaceuticals coming from hard drugs into pharmaceutical so I had this big like big pharma uh like hex right you know? hex AF. and i was like i'm not i'm gonna prove that that stuff is not needed or necessary and so i was really into like medicine you know like natural medicine i still this, am yeah that's really nice. now all of my anti yeah it's like it's not even anti but it's like you know anti in this world yeah yeah it does that does any of that knowledge kind of shift over to like applying to your life being in upstate and now absolutely yeah okay it, I mean, I still like forage. I mean, and as far as like the practice goes, like in the springtime, I can still identify plants. Not as much as I would like to, but like whatever, there's that. And then I'm also very much. Mo- it's more about food for me now and diet, like diet and um, body, like okay. somatic therapy, like okay. physical stuff is a lot more my life now. I go back home for a month whoa you go back to and in florida i discover and this is like after i do like these beet harvests and like i'm doing these things that are like making money in these different weird factory ways i go back to home i go back home and i actually end up like helping my darlene my teacher i'm teaching performance to and like teaching these games to high schoolers Okay. Yeah, like performance games. Because I like... What happened on like my trip around the world was... Or around the nation really was... um, I met all these people. And I heard so many stories. And I like realized that there were all these different ways of living and being. And that there were all the... You know, like that... That there was like a wide birth. You know, like of, of what life and existing meant. And then I came back home and I got really interested in performance on that journey because of these games I was playing. And then, um, and my sister was really doing badly. She was, she had become like severely addicted to opiates and it was really depressing and I really wanted to like help her and so I was there for the month and I came back I went I decided at that time that I was going to go back to Baltimore and I was going to go back to Baltimore to start a school and the school was called Wolfpack (laughs) and it was with my this girl Stephanie we were doing it together and it was specifically to help people who were struggling with mental illness or madness. And what the school was is that you would put people through or like people who want like different forms of people struggling with madness or mental madness. issues yeah. in some way with um, you would put them through a series of classes like that were performance based. And it was like, you dance like you um you sing you uh you get history lessons about like how this isn't your fault that it's like a social problem and so i ended up moving my sister to baltimore wow and, and putting she became her through a part of this it. thing 
And while I was doing it, I was shaving her pills so that she was weaning off of Oxycontin. And then we w- we made like an album together on GarageBand and like, you know, and I really thought it was going to work, but then like it didn't. And it didn't. She, she ended up like wanting to go home and like she was there for, I don't even know how long, like two months, maybe less. I can't, I can't even remember, but, um, she was, ended up going home and like getting a lot worse. Was there a point in the pro and Wolfpack where she felt like hopeless, hopeful? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think yes, because now she's doing really well. That's nice. And though this was like a long time ago, I get emotional about it because yeah. I do think that it made an impact on yeah. her. Does she, does she subconsciously, subconsciously like reference back to Wolfpack? Or maybe not, not, maybe not consciously. No. But I, I but know. you know but you know perhaps you know you know that it embedded her in some way. I think it made her believe that things could be different. Okay. And she was immersed in such an environment that she couldn't see herself outside of being like still at home. That when she moved there and like was introduced to different ways of being, which was were what the classes were, she went back and it got hard for her and she like essentially relapsed but then like and relapsed many times until she didn't anymore and so i do think like it did have an impact i know it did you know crazy i mean you essentially created a rehabilitation center that like the ethos of it like the proxies of it was around body yeah it was composition about or, like, yeah like the, the whole idea was it, of it was like you would go through these classes and then at the end of it you'd create a performance and wow. the performance because i started a theater i don't know if i told you that like when i in baltimore i guess it was like in it was before i dropped out of school i started a theater in the warehouse i lived in which was called the copycat and it was this four thousand square foot warehouse and i lived with other people and we all started this we built a stage and we started this theater so much space in maryland <laughs> i know it was like i paid at one point like 180 dollars a month for that space it was no fucking great the copycats is a great i mean it was a share many of us paid copycats and us um wolfpack those are great names yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah so like we had this sort of theater area and so the idea was that they would create whoever was a part of it would create a performance that was basically a, like them processing how they got to where they are and y- doing it symbolically, you know? So okay. it was like all these things involved. We never got to that point. Like your sister never performed. No. And yeah. Yeah. But that's like, that was kind of what started my performance career. It was wow. that. And so after that, it was like, I started doing these variety shows and, and it was, you know, like it was more fun. It was. It became more about having fun and like being poetic. But there was always some kind of element of like sociological lens. You know, like there was always something that was like, you know, pretty pretty dramatically like, um, I am a body experiencing what it means to be like a person in the society. You know, like it was always that, if, I, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There were all these different ways. like, And there were many people involved, you know, like there were, I had a big community there. And um, yeah, and it became like a thing. And that's, and I met Sigrid through. In 
the wolf pack no wolf pack ended when madeline left my sister that stopped and okay. i went back to school you went back to micah yeah so i went back into so how school. long were you out of school for two years one year yeah i think it was only a year um i wanted to ask you something before you get into that mm-hmm. um so you had the wolf pack and then you had the copycats remind me one more time the copycats was of a warehouse for uh not i we it was a it was a group of people um made a stage it was like protruding from the floor yeah oh okay and it was coming out of a room that was made we also made everything and it was everyone made everything that was in this warehouse so it was at one time yeah (laughs) yeah it was one time just like an empty room and then the people who lived there before us made a bunch of rooms and then we continued making rooms it was very diy it was 2007 2008 which was like a very diy baltimore year there were a lot of incredible musicians we had a lot of shows we had a lot of parties that's really beautiful and we made these things and there was no money anywhere that's but we just did whatever we wanted so it wasn't like a professional theater it was not like it It was just just a diy theater goddamn resourceful yeah that's really beautiful the way that it's like i want to do this so i'm gonna physically expand this place yeah and i'm also gonna expand my mind to do like that's so like quintessential like anything's possible yeah um what was the stage formed as like how was the architecture of the stage and like where did the people sit around it it was really big um the space so uh it was like a 12 by 12 stage. No, it was like a 25 by 25 stage. So it was like and elevated. Was like, yeah, and it was elevated like Whoa. that much. Holy shit. It was shit. like a big box. And then everybody sat around? Um, or like stand? So like there, it was when you walked into the space, there was like a lot of space. That makes a lot of sense as to also why you're like coordinating like performance space and everything. What do you mean? I mean, because that's just like what you've always done. Oh, yeah, like yeah, organizing. Yeah. Mm, I didn't get to that. Yeah. Um, so we're still <laughs> well, so sacred, so, so, Yeah, sacred, sacred and I met because um, some friends and I started a experimental dance collective. What and year was this? Sorry. This was 2010. 2010. And it was a bunch of, like, artists that were that doing. were that were living in Baltimore. And we were, we were like, let's start a dance collective. There was really, like, I had been talking to this person named Caroline who was a dancer. And then we, I wasn't a dancer, but I was, like, doing performance art. And so we were like, let's just make this dance collective where people come and they teach what they want to teach. So okay. that's what happened. So you guys were like intentionally saying that the D word was going to be like glued to this idea. Yeah. Whoa. And then it ended up being like 20 people eventually. And we started doing shows together. But Sigrid, she came to the second rehearse, like second um, meetup we ever had, which I don't remember who was teaching that day. But like we every week that we met, it was someone else teaching something that was just like experimenting okay it's really like sundays at performance it really is wow 
bless you yeah. for doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's still happening. But, um, but Sigrid and I ended up doing a lot of them. So, like, people sort of stopped. They sort of fell off, and then, like, Sigrid and I started teaching things. And then we started... Uh, making work together and it really happened because I was working on this huge show that was my senior thesis in college and it was called Rooms Play and it was like 22 rooms there were artists in every room audience members would walk in three at a time and um it would take like a you know like an hour and a half to walk through the whole thing it was about yeah. this it was about like um the it was about like alienation and it was very intense. It was my, and, but it was like a lot. And it was like that the biggest thing like I had ever lot. done at that time. That Why twenty two? It was just how many rooms could fit. Okay, wow. And you're so in these warehouses. Rooms. I know. <laughs> rooms play. But it was it was like this huge collaboration, and I was working on it. I was like stressed out. I was very stressed out, and I was I think something happened with my family, and I was scream crying in my bedroom. And Sigrid came, Sigrid had like moved into the warehouse. She was living in the dungeon room. And I ignored her for like six months because I was stressed out and working on my thesis in my senior year of college. And she was like a party girl. And, um, and she came in and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, <laughs> no. I'm not okay. And then we ended up staying up all night and talking and realizing that we had like a very similar history mm. and very similar value system. Mm. And we started like making dance after that and the theater and, you know, we just put on playlists and make these dances together. And that's how Flucked formed. Wow. And, and then we started performing them and we started doing things with the dance collective at first. And then we sort of separated and became just Flucked and, and um where does flucked come from fluctuation and um yeah like we both it was a it was a really emotional experience like we were both wow. like these emo extreme like going through shit people you know <laughs> like we were we were recognizing how like fucked up we were you know kind of and so like how that lent itself to like emotional fluctuations and that's what the performances were always about. It was it was a really beautiful, it was a really beautiful beginning. Yeah, like, because I, I often find myself as well, like, you know, when I'm at war, I just, the only thing that can carry it is just moving my body. Yeah. And I feel like in the instance of Sigrid coming into your room, and she's like, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. And then having that shared value of being like but our vessel yeah yeah it was really i mean i like will never forget it like we stayed up till the sun rose just like oh my god i grew up like this and like this is what's going on and then like her sharing and we were sharing you know and then and then that was all like yeah it just became like what we it formed it formed yeah and so then you started to perform as flux we always felt weird about it because it sounded like fucked, but we were like, whatever, maybe that's interesting. <laughs> and people would like comment on that and we would be like, no, no we're all actually like being a lot more wholesome. <laughs> but um, it's 
necessarily that. Yeah. It's- but also, like, playing into it because a lot of the motion of, like, what we were going through, like, was seeing people nod out or, like... Okay. Whatever, like, doing... is We were playing with the things we had experienced in the work. And so, um... It was fucked up looking. As flocked with Sigrid in those moments, like, is there a specific time that kind of was, like, the summit for you? Like, a kind of, like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say a turning point, but just, like, an aha, like, I guess what was your first aha moment with flocked? I don't know. In the Maybe time of like performing? Maybe, like, moving to New York. Okay. Did you both decide to do that together? Well, I kind of. I know. I mean, I think it was really more Sigrid's idea. It, I, but it was like a mutual decision. Like we encouraged each other. Okay. What happened was I was getting really sick of my apartment. Like my the warehouse I was living in okay. was like turning into like a flop house, and I was like. It was, like, losing control or something. Okay. And so Sigrid and I moved in together across the hall to another warehouse. And we both lived in... There were two rooms that, like, didn't... Where the walls didn't go all the way to the ceiling. So, like, they had, like, open air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was just a wall between us. And, like, I slept in one bed and she slept in another and our heads were facing. And actually, the way we named Flucked was because we had the same dream. Oh. And we had this dream where there was this symbol... And uh, it was, like, a circle with, like, a line going into it and then, like, a wavy thing coming out of it. Stop. And at one day... To your head, to We were trying head. to figure... Well, that's how we slept every night. So we found it, like, really weird that we had the same dream because... Or, like, really interesting because she and I slept, like, head to head but with a wall between us. Right. But I had a dry erase board in my room and... I was like, I texted her. I, I was working at a coffee shop and I like woke up mad early. And I had this dream with this symbol and I like texted her and was like, look at the dry erase board in my room. Like I th- we were trying to figure out a name. Okay. And like a logo or something. Okay. And I was like, look at this symbol. And she was, she like texted me back and she was like, no fucking way. Like look, she sent me a te- oh, screenshot of um her notebook where no. she had the same symbol. No. <laughs> And that's where Flucked came from. No. Because it looked like, you know, fluctuating. The source has spoken. (laughs) Holy shit. You know? (laughs) Wow. It was cool. But anyway, so, and then eventually, like, we weren't making any money. And so she moved into my bedroom and we shared the rent. Okay. And we decided to move to New York. Okay. And the way we were gonna, we were either gonna move to LA or New York, and okay. the way we were gonna do that was by trimming weed in California. So we went to California to trim weed. What year was this? Two thousand twelve. Okay. Early two thousand twelve. End of two thousand eleven. Right. Early two thousand twelve. We go to California to trim weed, and on our way there, we pulled a tarot card to see if we should move to LA or go to New York. And we pulled the devil. And we were like, that means we shouldn't go to California because that's all about material. Okay. And we don't want to be live in a material world. We want to live in, like, an existential one. So we decided from that logic. The devil meant East Coast. <laughs> I yeah. get it. Okay. That, that was, yeah. Purgatory. Go yeah. suffer. <laughs> Honestly. So you pulled the devil. 
So you trim weed. You make money? Yeah, we made like $3,000 each trimming weed. That was a crazy story. That's like a whole long, very crazy story. I I can imagine. So, so we end up moving to New you York. You get the money, you go to New York, you finance this birth of mm-hmm. Flucked in Manhattan or whatever. Well, Flucked in New York. had already formed and it like was already existing. We had done a bunch of shows. Okay. And then we were like, well, what do we do with it now? Baltimore is like a plateau. There's okay. You get to a certain point and then you can't go any further. So we had already gotten to that point and we were like, okay, we let's move to New York. Okay. Or let's move somewhere else and like see grow this, you know. Like yeah, not or not. I don't even know if that was like really the intention to grow it or whatever. But when we moved to New York, we like lived in the same loft in the same bed with like a deflated fucking. It's a very New York story, like deflated air mattress on top of a wooden loft in Williams in East Williamsburg. And two thousand. 12. Twelve. I mean, I I feel grateful for the fact that I didn't um, know what was happening. Mm-hmm. You know that yeah. it was like cogn cog, like cognizant a detachment or something. Right. You were just on for the ride. You were just going where you needed to go. Yeah. Where your body needed to go. Yeah. That. So you get to New York. You're with Sigrid. It's 2012 because you're sharing a fucking deflatable mattress. <laughs> yeah. And I guess... And then we started performing. I think one of the first shows we ever did was... um, When we were still in Baltimore, we came to New York and performed at some gallery through this person named Nissa, who... and, And this other person, Maxwell, who were, like, running... Oh, God, what was it called? It was called Moves Gallery. And it was, like, yeah, this, like, sort of DIY gallery thing, but also not. And um, and we did this, like, weird performance with BXCC. So when we, which is the Baltimore Experimental Dance Collective. And then we came, after that happened, when we moved to New York, um, there were some people connected with that that were doing Body Actualized. Which Body Actualized was a DIY venue slash yoga studio that was on Troutman, oh. which was like a very cool, very freaky, weird place. And Whoa. anyone who like, it was like, a, it was an era, but it was like a party place. Like there were raves, there were performances, there was yoga classes. But I loved it. Sigrid and I, we, you know, like... I don't know. We that was one of the first. I think it may have been the first place we performed in New York when we lived here. Oh, and there was this person who was kind of a part of it named Angelina Dream, who was the person we were living with. So Angelina Dream. Yeah, she lives in Hudson now. There's a big part of me that's very much upstate. Like I like nature. I there's something. I deny it. I deny a lot of what I like about upstate because it's hard to like glue my dreams with like my needs Mm. sometimes but I mean if I had a perfect world it would kind of be the world I'm living right now because it has both but I started Oceanfront in 2014 and I was you know Sigrid and I were performing Flucked kind of all over the place like I think there was like a really big shift that happened when we performed at 
the Queen's Museum and we were doing a lot of stuff in the nightlife and like performing at raves at like three in the morning and like that was exhausting. We were really performing all over the place but like we felt like the work and we used to make a new piece like for every show. I mean, we met Juliana Huxtable at, I don't know, in some context, mutual friends. Okay. And Juliana had um, been invited to, like, curate something at the Queen's Museum. And she invited Sigrid and I to perform there. She had seen us perform somewhere. And we did a show there. And it was, like, a lot of people who saw that show were... Whatever, blown, blown out. It was a good show. How does that? How did that feel for you? What describe that as a performer and having a good show? Um, like what is that? We, I mean, I don't know. I think that we were talking about things we cared about in performance, and I, of course, we were. I think we were nervous, but I remember being there and being like, "I'm not nervous. Like, I know exactly what this is." And I'm nervous that, like, like there was a part of it where <laughs> Sigrid, like, uh, it, was, it was kind of iconic. Like, um, Sigrid, like, takes, there's this part where I, like, climb up her body and then I fall into her, her arms like La Pieta. And I'm, like, there and she takes off my pants and, like, on my on my like pussy is a dollar bill like taped with this like beige kt tape so it's like i'm naked and but she's carrying my body and i'm like in the shape of like jesus christ you know but i'm dead fragile i'm like out i have no consciousness and then she places my body in this like position and um and then the music changes and it activate activates me being like ferocious and i'm like trying to rip this dollar off my pussy but the thing was that it was about rape culture and that's overgeneralizing and it was like specifically like we talked a lot about being women you know like this was everything we did was based in like meditation and conversation of our own experiences and what it felt like walking down the street what it felt like growing up as like a young woman in um america you know and so like all of that translated into like these pretty intense codes and so like performing that at the queen's museum in the bright light like usually we were performing at night in nightlife so it was like dark and like people were probably on drugs or drunk or whatever more compatible (laughs) yeah Yeah. then like we brought it in the context of a museum and the lights were bright ass white but that's what changed everything was like oh this is like we were performing a lot as like musicians you know not that we were musicians but it felt right 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 i think that was kind of the first time we had done something like that in an institution queen like we had done art things yeah you know okay yeah yeah. i think we we had performed in galleries yeah but we had control over like um but this was like the beginning if it wasn't the first show it was definitely like one of the first shows where there was like an audience that was watching Mm. in a way that was synonymous to like 
observing art. Moment. It was sort of a moment, yeah, where, yeah, where I think people recognized what it was. You know, like, I don't think people had ever, like, seen anything like it before. Or a lot of people had not seen anything like it before, where it did kind of traverse these different realms. Right. You know, where it was, like, techno music, sampling. Like, we always made all of our sound. So the sound was, like, this amalgamation of cultural narrative okay. plus techno cool. and dubstep and like pop songs cool 2012 yeah and then there cool. were all these samples from like all kinds of shit and nice. and it all made this narrative yeah. that was pretty abstract but like you got it you know so Fuck. that was like a i don't know like that all of that in the context of a performance art show thing I think was like kind of not like new. I think people, anyone who had observed performance art before had probably seen it, but it was also at this time when I think more performance art was happening or like beginning to happen. And um, yeah, we'd been performing for like 10 years straight, you know, and often it was like multiple times a month and in all these different contexts and you know, like, then you start talking about money and, you know, yeah. all of the stuff and, like, yeah. um, someone asks you to perform, and I'm sure you know this, and they're like, oh, we only have, like, a little, like, this amount of money, and it's like, they don't realize that creating a performance takes, like, so many different processes. It is, it takes so long, it consumes your entire life, it is your life, it is your body, it is your mind. It is like all of you, everything and you, were you have. Making a performance for each thing, like well, you said. at that point we yeah. stopped doing that. Okay, that performance that we performed at Queen's Museum, I think, was called a gape. I don't remember now. Or it was something. It's Sissy Joker La Pieta or something. I think that was a later one, but um. But we started doing a thing where we started performing the same piece once a year. Or, I mean, like, throughout the year. That's really So nice. we'd perform it in many places. Yeah. And if someone wanted a new performance, they wanted to commission a new piece, then that was a lot more money. Right. God, it's, like, in the art context, it's, it's a different thing. But, like, the but way that it makes such a huge ripple in the greater society, like by way of like entertainment um obsessions or like escapism or whatever like the way the kind of money that is created from uh concert like pop concert music video um super bowl fucking whatever's tiktok instagram dance like the dance like especially now like the amount of um like economic stimulation that yeah, comes out of this I kind of really... work is like so much more absurd than any of us like ever ever had Imagined. a way to understand but then you you look at like this where the muse is and the muse is in like these the context of um people like you and me and it's it's like a it's a weird fucked up system when you start to see it that when you start seeing that 
because I'm not, I know I'm not wrong. Like the number of times that Sigrid and I have been on, you know, like these fucking huge billionaire people's mood boards is, and have known people who have worked for those people who have sent us photos of like that exact thing is, and then seeing it in the next season's like fashion yeah. trends is it's just very real I, I guess what i'm trying to say is something about um like when you choose to be a dancer or or a movement-based artist there's there's um there's a choice to engage in like the way that it exists economically and politically and spiritually and whatever and that choice is not logical and it's not something that's going to make sense like and and, and that's like part but but the thing that does make sense is something that is much in my opinion that is much bigger picture you know and and that's not a sensical world you know because it's not it's not a logic like the system that we live under which is like umbrellaed under yeah capitalism but really is a psychological um, coup. You know, like, when I say capitalism, it's like, what I'm talking about is behavior that has been developed by way of making people believe that they need something that they don't need, you know? know. And, like, there being, like, a elliptical sort of, um, like, lack of understanding around resources and, like, distribution of power. And access. Yeah. I'm doing this new performance right now, which is specifically mm-hmm. about creating support structures. And um, part of the reason I'm doing that is because my heaven <laughs> uh, is the most like grounding and giving and gifting is in rehearsal. And part of that is because, like, the like it's a social space where we, as people, are able to delve into and trust each other and, like, move information through our, our bodies and, like, examine them and communicate, you know. And it's this really beautiful space that exists. And it's, it's unique and rare, you know, and yeah. I wish the rest of the world was like that. Yeah. But... It's also very exclusive. It's super exclusive. And, you know, like, and it's not... I don't think people receive the same thing that rehearsals give in a performance. If you have a lot of money where you can create the space and time and, like, budget that kind of opportunity, then yes. But, like, performance still can't do that in the same way. It doesn't do it. It's, like... Performance has a wall, no matter how much you try to tear it down. You know, unless you're thinking about it in a in that way, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like I've been thinking, like, how do you do that? How do you create that kind of boundaryless uh, sort of, you break through to, like, what it means to really be alive? You know, like, in a, in a rehearsal space... It's, you can do that because you can, like, tap into who you are and, like, what you've gone through and, like, being a body and grounding. But, like, as an audience member in a performance, it really is all about ways of seeing. I mean, I've been teaching dance and 
not dance performance for like 10 years no i always am opposed to saying dance because some people are dancers and they are they arrive they like arrive at dance in a specific kind of way so i really don't i personally don't like well i think it's appropriate for some like i can't say that i've spent the last 10 years of my life training in conservatory that's a really different experience than what I've had. Right. Like, my experience is vital and, vi- and valuable, but it's not that. What I've been doing for the last decade is, like, I don't know, maybe... It's a, it's just of a different realm. It's, yeah. like... How did you feel about your public records performance? How do I feel about it? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> did you perform? No, okay. I did. My my performers performed. Okay, I wasn't okay. in it. Did okay. you not see it? I didn't go. Oh, okay. Well, this performance. Yeah, tell me. Is more like a painting. Yeah, and everyone who's involved in it, like though, it's because it's about support structures. We're really working through these like therapeutic processes, and each person who's involved is like very intricately involved, like. I don't know how much Isa has told you about it because Isa hasn't done like a part of this thing that everyone else has done, which was like the introduction to the piece because she came in later. But it's this thing that I created that's called unblocking. That's really um, a body experiencing process that is like going through a sort of body scan process that identifies sensation and digs at it. And reveals that there's information that we hold in certain places that have, that are were created primarily in childhood that um, affect the way we behave and affect the way that we hold ourselves. Can you give me an example? Unblocking leads to vocabulary movement, but it is not the thing that is like shown in a performance. So it's like at the core of embodiment. It's not at the core of development. Or like the of um, like the story happens afterwards. So for instance, like uh, all things under dog, which is like the tentative name of what the piece piece is, is um, Maxie, who's one of the performers, um, went through this unblocking thing, and. identified that there was sensation in his throat and the sensation in his throat was one that revealed imagery of swamp and dirty water and this is like this process we go through that reveals this thing that reveals a memory and this memory went into this thing that happened when he was really young in which he was villainized for being a black child and when he expressed this thing he basically revealed the sentiment that it was not a big deal and he didn't think it was a big deal but he remembers it vividly and the thing that and the reason it's in his throat is because it affects the way he expresses himself because he was villainized as a developed being child for something he had no control over which would obviously 
affect you forever unless you observe it and like deal with it in a way that is at least acknowledging what does the process of unblocking look like it really is like a guided meditation okay that leads to choreography okay cool is it manifested through writing first Mm -mm. there's no writing i write as the one guiding i write but um but the person who's going through it um just talks and it's an experience they um go through like a scanning of their interior geography and they identify subtleties and those subtleties mm-hmm. are then like dug into and it's really basic it's like it's quite basic is the interesting thing like it's and what i mean by that is like anyone could do it anyone could guide someone through this it's like and when I do it for people, like, because I, I discovered this over quarantine, really, and I started doing it with, I think the first person I did it with was actually Jess Nelson from Dance Lawyer. And um, I did it as a way to, like, sort of develop choreography and then realize that it was always aligning. I started doing it with all kinds of people, and it was always aligning with a chakra system, and it always revealed an, a memory that people thought was insignificant so the thing that happens is like you go through the body and you identify um a sensation like that sensation could be like warmth it could be a spiral feeling a pulsing you know it could be um it could be anything color that comes up whatever but as you're going through like the channels slowly you identify those things and they usually are somewhere on the chakra system, so like the central axis, which I never really aligned myself with the chakra system. I thought it was always woo-woo and like attached to a wellness uh, like ontology that I thought was like co-opted by capitalism and didn't trust, you know? So I was like, but then when I started doing this, it was always like the throat, the chest, the solar plexus, the stomach, the root, the the a big one for a lot of people is the sacrum which is right before the root which has a lot to do with personality and like a sensuality sexuality stuff like that which is like your lower back abdomen area and like these are the central axes of like the chakra system and so i got more interested in that because of this work but um they these so like you identify the sensation and that sensation I'll be like, uh, okay, go to your throat where you felt the the spiral. And it's like, you know, like, what do you concentrate on the spiral? Like, what images come up? What what colors come up? And someone will be like, green. I'll be like, okay, just concentrate on the green. What um, images come up from green? And it's like, oh, a green velvet couch. And I'm like, okay, concentrate on the green velvet couch. Like, what comes up first thing, you know, intuitive and they're like, oh, I remember I was sitting on the couch when I was seven with my cousin and we were playing a video game and they uh, got angry with me and told me I was stupid. And it was like, and, it was and like then a they'll regression. be like, yeah, and they're like, oh, I have no idea why that came up. And I'm like, it came up because that's the first time you ever felt rejection. And they're like, but it's so insignificant. And I'm like, no, it's actually not insignificant. Like you've been holding that there. 
Yeah. And that affects the way you express yourself. Right. You know, like... It's like a regression to, like, reprogram the whole motherboard. Yeah. Of all of those first conditionings. Yeah. That happen with a body. Yeah, that when is, you're, like, like so naive sensitive. and don't know, like... You know, yeah. and you're never taught to, you're never taught to process information. Know. You know, like the problem here is not that like we go through trauma or that we experience life and it's hard sometimes. It's that that stuff affects your self-esteem and your self-esteem affects the way you behave in the world and it affects the way you care about other people and it affects the way you therefore distribute resources or distribute power and that's why the world is fucked up because like the people who are in power are still dealing with that trauma i'll tell you one last thing yeah my last name is maraboli and um in italian it means a miracle but if you separate it it means wonderful to relate to and if you separate it in Latin, it means beautiful misery, which is a, quite a coincidence. Well, um, thank you, TTYL. TTYL. See you next episode. Yeah. <laughs> More wine. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight. Uh, uh, we are. The D word is sponsored by Secretary of State.